Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Richard. I'm grateful to recovered alcoholic. Can you all hear me at the back, all right? Yeah? yeah. Not only have I recovered from a semi hopeless state of mind and body, but my friends and family and acquaintances have also recovered from the hopeless state of my drinking and the chaos and the madness that went with it. Um, the reason I introduced myself as recovered is because I think the greatest gift that one alcoholic can give another is the gift of hope. If you go to a doctor's and he says you've got cancer and you say, what's the chances? And he says, well, not really, you're going to be sick for the rest of your life and dying. That's called no hope. If you go there and say, what's the chances? And he says, do you know what? With a bit of work, with a bit of effort, with a bit of willingness, you can recover and live a happy, joyous existence until the day you die. So that's the reason why I introduced myself as recovered. Um, I don't do it to separate myself. I don't do it out of ego, and I don't do it to piss anybody off. Um, and that's something I should apologise for now. My language can be atrocious sometimes. Um, it's, um... Yeah, look, the truth is for me is this, right? Um, I didn't come to Alcoholics Anonymous because I wanted to get my life back. I didn't have one. This illness stripped me of everything worthwhile in life. So, you know, if you came in with a job and a car and a career and kids and a house, look, the only requirement for membership here is a desire to stop, a sincere desire to stop, that's it. So please, you don't have to have done the things I've done, you don't have to have drunk like I did, you don't have to have had the consequences I did, this is about the feelings and the thoughts that went along with it. Um, two weeks ago, I lost the 53rd person and 7th ex-sponsee, um, and I was at his funeral before I came out here. Alcoholics Anonymous, it's not a dating agency, it's not a social club, and it's not a counselling session. This is a life-breathing, life-giving, life-saving fellowship that I'm a very proud member of. Uh, without it, I wouldn't be standing here today. I'm absolutely passionate about a programme of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I mean passionate. I don't make many friends here. But I'm not here to make friends. I'm here because I was dying of an illness that's progressive in nature and fatal. I will die from this, and hopefully by the end of... My shirt that you will understand why. Um, the sponsor's name was Dan. Um, so this one's for Dan. From a very young age, about 12, I just didn't fit in with everybody. And uh, from the age of 12, I had a psychiatrist. And um, they put me in his room once and they, they got his box out. And they put it in, in front of me and it had square holes and round holes and oblong holes and, and they went behind this mirror and they said, please open the case. So I opened the case and looked at it. And they said, would you put the square pegs into the square holes and round pegs into the round holes? And I looked at them and even from that age I had that alcoholic thinking, you know who the fuck I am? <laughs> what? Really? You take the piss? So I'll take the square ones and I'm smashing them into the round ones. I'll grab the other ones and smash them into the triangle ones. And very soon I got the, the label, psychotic. So of course, the, it went around the estate, this gives us a nutter. And then I acted up on it, but the actual truth is, well, I was just a little boy full of fear. And I just wanted to impress you. So it was me that nicked the cars. You know, it was me that did all that stuff that other kids wouldn't do, because I wanted to live up to this reputation, really, that I just didn't deserve. Um, but 14 years old, I'm indoors. And uh, I've got my school blazer on, and I'm bunking off the school. And I've heard this bottle of scotch in the cabinet, right? My mum and dad are away, and I can hear it, and it's going, drink me, drink me. So I picked this open cabinet up, and I went like that, and it tasted horrible. 
my throat was on fire, my stomach was on fire, my head was spinning, and I thought, I am never touching that shit again. And then, bam, it happened. What makes me bodily and definitely for my fellows? The phenomenon of craving kicked in, I didn't know that then. And now I've got my hand over my nose, my face screwed up, and I'm sipping it a bit at a time. Until in the end, I'm paralytic, and I have my second great thought that day, which is to go and take my dad's three litre granada on the driveway down at school to pick my mates up. So I've got three cushions on the seat, and I'm looking like that trying to see over the steering wheel, absolutely out of me now, and I get down to school, three of my pals jump in the car, we're going up the high street and we're going all over the place like this, and as I get to the top of my road, the police are behind me with a light flashing. So I pulled up outside my house, and I mounted the pavement, hit the brake, and as I hit the brake, all my pals went forward in the car, they all jumped out of the car, and they're all really good pals. They stuck through thick and thin with me. They jumped out of the car and went, see ya, and just legged it across the road. So the police officer got out, and he came up to the driver's door, and he opened the driver's door, and I fell out the driver's door, got me leg caught by the seat there, and he picked me up. He said, is this your car, sir? I said, yeah. In my school blazer, right? Yeah. He said, what's your name? So I give him my dad's name. He said, what's your date of birth? I said, the 7th of the 7th, 1936. <laughs> His name about you fucking 64. I was like, no, it does. I said, get in the back of a fucking car. <laughs> I didn't know it then, but that was going to be the pattern to my drinking for the rest of my life. Um, my story's a simple one. As the drinking got heavier, the prison sentences started. And what happened was, the prison sentences got longer and the time in between them got shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. And while I was out there drinking, I just caused chaos and carnage and devastation everywhere I went. Um, I was in a flat in Peckham once, right? And there was a geezer sitting opposite me and he had a can of tennis in one hand. He was dribbling out the corner of his mouth. He had a tourniquet wrapped around his arm with a needle hanging out. And he looked up at me and he went, Richard, you're fucked, man. You need help. <laughs> Our book talks about I could no longer distinguish between the true and the false, my alcoholic life would become the only normal one. Because if you'd have asked me, I'd have told you I was fine. You see, I could see his reality, what I couldn't see was my reality. Um, I'm not a functioning alcoholic. I didn't get up and go to work. I didn't have the career, I didn't have the kids. I didn't have the car, I didn't have the house. This illness that I suffer from never allowed me to gain any of that outside stuff. It just didn't. You know, I'm the one the book talks about. You know, I become disgustingly, dangerously antisocial when I drink. That's my truth. Um, so, I ended up on the street with a gun. Uh, now, at this point, my ego wants to appear. It wants to tell you about arm robberies and everybody hit the floor. Um, all that stuff, because that's where my illness lives. My illness lives in my ego. But that's not the truth. You see, the truth for me is that the first people that I robbed from was my family. Then it was my friends, then it was my acquaintances, then it was anybody that got in my way. Now I'd like to tell you that I didn't care. But I was unable of caring because that's what this illness does to me. I'm Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And I smashed everybody to pieces around me. Um, you know, it wasn't glamorous. Now when I come to AA, I had this, um, I had this delusion, right, that I'm an international playboy and a bit of a gangster, right? So I get it, and the truth for me is this, right? I'm so much of a gangster, I'm walking around bus stops picking bag butts up. And as for the international playboy, I went out of a bird in Orpington once. <laughs> but I'm absolutely delusional. I'm not joking. I'm gonna... My first AA meeting, I went into the first meeting, right? This beautiful looking woman came up and she went to me, can I take you home and shag you? That's what I heard her say, right? What she actually said was, are you new? Would you like a cup of tea? <laughs> in my head, mental. 
and main trouble. Yeah. I'm even drinking water alcoholically, by the way. You saying this? So I end up in prison with a very long sentence. It doesn't matter how many I've done, and it doesn't matter how long they are. But I've been away a few years by this point, and all of a sudden I get this knock on the cell. So I, my normal prison welcome. What the fuck it was? He said, they're brewing no chap down the church. I couldn't get down there quick enough. I mean, I had a good one. Good few years by this point. So I flew down the church, and when I get down the church, they're all sitting in a circle. And I said, Mr. Geezer, we're with you. And he went, is she my there? And I went, all right, mate. And he went, all right, mate. Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous meet the cold in prison. My name's Jordan, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and I turned to my mate, and I said in my most caring voice, what the fuck have you brought me here for? And all I saw was it said, 12 God steps, 12 God traditions. I thought, the mariachi band's going to be coming in a minute with more praise in Jesus and rattling their things. This is not for me. Not for me. Now, the day before I was released, if you'd have put a lie detector on me, asking me if I was going to drink again, I'd have told you, undoubtedly I wouldn't do it. And I meant it with every fibre of my being. Because by this time, my mates have got houses, they've got careers, they've got kids, they've got lives. I've got none of that. None of that. I was released at 7 o'clock in the morning. By 9 o'clock in the morning, I was pissed. By 12 o'clock, I was in a crack house. And by 8 o'clock that night, I had an eagle hanging at me. It took me one day. One day to go right back to where I left off. Because I had this thing with euphoric recall, right? I don't go back to them last days in a bin shed drinking cans of cider. Right? I go back to 1989 in a field with break for love on and pills and love and this is all wonderful. That's the euphoric recall I have. But I don't go back to that little drop of scotch I had when I was a 14 year old kid. I go back to exactly where I left off. That's why it's a progressive illness. So I came out and I hit the streets running as I normally do. Robbing, lying, stealing, cheating, doing all this stuff. And ended up smashed to pieces again. I thought, I know, I'm going to go to one of these AA meetings. So I turned up at this AA meeting and they said, get a sponsor who's got what you want. So I got someone who was eight years and did fuck all, because that's what I wanted to be, eight years and do nothing. They said, think, think, think. I thought he said, drink, drink, drink. They said, don't get involved in a relationship in your first year, so I got a girl pregnant. They said, easy does it, I do fuck all. <laughs> and I went back out on the streets and I did what I've always done, robbed, lied, stolen, cheated. I did all that stuff again. And um, about three months later, I ended up in another prison. This time the prison was in my front room. Um, I had a bottle of Bacardi. I was seven and a half stone, I was jaundice shallow. Um, I had two heart attacks and I had a stroke, my eye had dropped, my lip had dropped, my whole left side had gone. Um, I was on 120ml methadone, cipramil, lanzapine, and Prozac, diazepam, tamazepam. Um, I was not in a good way. I was not in a good way. And um, what I truly believe happened that day was that God put his hand on my shoulder that day and went, enough is enough, stop Richard. Because I didn't have the power to do that. I did not have the power to do that. Um, I just wanted to die. I had a carving knife there and I just wanted out. Now here's the thing with it, but I, I wasn't going to go sideways, I was going to go long ways, because this ain't a quite help, I'm out of here. And um, I was telling the sponsor a little while ago, I was telling the exact same story, right? But here's the thing with it, I've got delusions of grandeur, right? Because I'm, I'm about to kill myself with this knife. And as I'm about to kill myself with this knife, this voice is coming to my head and said, 
when a place breaking, you can at least tidy the flat up, it's a bit of a shit up. So I think I rang a flat for an hour and a half tidying the flat up, right? To sit back on the couch with this carving off, and as I'm about to top myself, it comes into my head, two police officers standing over me, one says to the other, what phone is this, Sarge? And the other one says, I can see that constable, but look how tidy his flat is. <laughs> this is all going on while I'm sitting there about to kill myself. <laughs> so I've pictured my body going down the mouth. With the British flag draped over it. I've got the 21 gun salute either side, Army and Navy. And my sponsor looked at me at this point and he said, Was you in the Army? <laughs> no, I was crazy. <laughs> I picked the phone up that day. I had credit on that phone, I just, God knows, God knows. I was told to get to a meeting and get the one meeting and quit because you're going to die. They say the longest journey you can take in is from the head to the heart. Now, I'd been in meetings before, right? I'd sat in meetings and I told you I was done. And what I've learned over the years is this. Talk comes from the head, action comes from the heart. And it was in my heart this day. There was no reservations, lurking notions. I knew I was done for good and all. Not one day at a time, I was done. Because the first time I came here, right, what somebody said to me is it's just one day at a time. And I said, yeah, but you're lying, it's not, is it? I've got to do this for the rest of my life. They went, yeah, but it's just one day at a time. I said, no, you're telling me I can never drink again. And they went, yeah, but it's just one day at a time. This time I walked in, and a little old boy walked over to me and went, just one day at a time. I said, I fucking hope not. I hope not. I hope here I'm for good and all, because I never want to drink again. I never want to do the stuff that I've done, and never want to hurt the people around me ever, ever again. So I go to this meeting, right? And uh, what I've been told was, to stay away from these meetings where these people are that carry big books, right? Because they're joy boys. They're step Nazis. They're nutters. Stay away from them. So I'd say to newcomers coming in the door, see the geezer with a big book, stay away from him, he's fucking mental. I'd go out and get pissed and come back and he was still sitting there smiling. Happy, joyous and free, rocketed into a fourth dimension. And I go, oh God, did he really say that? I get all embarrassed for him, poor old sod. And I go out and I drink again, get smashed to pieces and I come back and he's still sitting there smiling. And I thought, maybe I need to ask somebody like this. Now this is only my experience, okay? It may not be yours, but my experience of AA in my early days was this. I knew who was sleeping with who, I knew whose plumber was broken, Whose dog had been down the vet that day? Who'd had a bad day with their wife? Who'd had a bad day with their relationship? I knew everything there was to know other than what I was suffering from, a fatal illness called alcoholism. And more importantly, the solution to that problem that I have. Uh, that's just my experience. So, I'd heard people in here talk a good program, because it's really easy to repeat what you heard last night in a meeting. I'll give you an example. Right? I'm in a meeting, it's one of them meetings where you've got to raise your hands, I hate them meetings. Right? But there's this little old boy in there, he's about 30 odd years, he never says a word. And all of a sudden he lifted his hand up one day, and, and the whole room just looked at him. And he went, hello Tom, how kind of. Did you know that I is in the word illness, and we is in the word love? Thank you very much. But his hand down, and I went, wow Tom. Wow, pearls of wisdom. And the next night I'm sitting in the meeting, and the woman went, my name's Joan, did you know that I is in the word illness, and we is in the word well? And I went, wow Joan. Because it's really easy to repeat that stuff. Well, I was told when I got it by people armed with the facts, don't watch what they say, watch what they do, because that's more important. 
My experience of being in AA is this, there's three types of people in the meeting. There's the ones who think this is an illness and they'll come to meetings, they may make tea, they may not. They may get a sponsor, they may not. They may do the steps, they may not. Then you've got the second type, they think it's quite a serious illness. And they'll come to lots of meetings and they may get a sponsor, they may not, they may do the steps, they may learn the traditions, they may not. They may learn the concepts, they may not. Then you've got the third type. They don't think, they know, that this is progressive in nature and fatal when they're dying and they'll go at lots of meetings, they'll fly through the steps, they'll take infantry, they'll do their praying, they will sponsor legions of people and they will do all the stuff here that needs to be done because they know they're dying from this. Because as I said earlier, it's not a social club. It's not. So I followed this bloke to his home group knowing that some people took a good programme in it because I thought, I'm not going to ask him now. So I get to his home group and he stands outside with his phone out. I thought, that's a black. Right. He's trying to make himself look good in front of the rest of the group. So I went up to a newcomer. I said, does he ring you? He said, ring me. He drives me fucking crazy, the geezer. Don't stop calling me. And then I found out in the meeting, was his sponsor, his sponsor, his sponsor, and his sponsor up for 47 years? Or just becoming or putting the chairs out or getting involved? And I thought, you know what? I want some of this. And I said to this geezer, will you sponsor me? He said, are you willing to go with William Lems, Richard? I said, I will run around Kingston naked with a red dicky bowl and it's going to keep me sober. Please don't ask me to do that. But I will if you want me to. So what I'm going to do is give you a programme of action because this is a programme of action, it's not a programme of thinking. You see, here's where thinking got me, right? I'm sitting on the couch one day, I've got a can of tents in one hand, I've got a kebab in the other, and I've seen on the TV the geezer with a six pack, I thought, I need to get one in. Summer's coming up, get yourself a nice looking bird. Two weeks later, I've got a can of tents and a kebab, and I can't work out how come I've got a six pack. Right? Absolutely no action going into this. So I said, because this is a program of action, I want you to get down on your knees every day and invite God into your life. I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, did you say God? And he went, yeah. Have you had God in your life every day so far? I said, no. And he said, how's it fucking going? I said, shit. He said, well, you need one then. No, I'm completely, religion, all that stuff, I'm not interested in. Never have been. And he said, look, do you believe I believe? I said, I believe you believe, yes. He said, okay, ask Billy's God every morning to keep you sober then. And at the end of the night, thank Billy's God for keeping you sober. I said, okay, I can do that. He said, when you write a gratitude, there's ten things out every morning you're grateful. And I said to him, well, I just had a stroke. And you fucking joking. What the fuck am I grateful for? He said, why don't you look at the things that you should be grateful for? Did you know some third world countries have to walk three miles in the morning to go and get a bucket of stagnant water? 37% of the world's population are going to go to bed tonight under the stars without food in their stomach and you yourself is prick have got all of that. I went selfish, that's a bit strong, isn't it? Come to find out in step four, that's exactly what I am. Selfish and self-centered to the core. To the core. So I said, I can do that. I can do that. It's the sort of sponsor I had, right, I'm with the facts around this stuff. Been in AA over 40 odd years, he said to me, I want you to call me every morning at 7 o'clock. Now I didn't have a phone because he was in cash converters again. <laughs> so I had to go down the phone box and ring him. And after two weeks of ringing him, he never answered the phone. I pulled him in the home group and I said, oh, you, you don't answer the phone. He said, where did I say to you in the beginning? I said, you said, ring you. He said, yeah. He said, I didn't say I'd fucking pick it up, did I? <laughs> He said, when you go to meetings, I want you to put your hand out the newcomers. I said, I can't do that. He said, why not? I said, I'm shy. He said, you weren't shy about walking into a pub and asking the barman who you didn't know for a pint, was you? I said, no. He said, well, do this then. 
You see, what he could have done was he could have sat me down and he could have said, Richard, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about selfishness and self-centeredness. We're going to talk about an altruistic program where we look out to fix what's within. But he would have just gone right over my head and would have understood a word he said. But what he did do was place me in that position because this is what I've done in AA all my life. I've come here late, I've drunk your tea, I've ate your biscuits, I've chatted your bones up and I've fucked off early. Because all I do is take, 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 take. I've got an illness of more. Discontentment. What cures that discontentment is looking out and helping others. Now, he didn't explain any of that to me. He just made me do it. So that's what I did. He came out of my house on the Monday. And we sat and we started going through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. There was no writing, there was no handouts, there was no 50 examples of manageability, 50 examples of powerlessness. He said to me, it's all in a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and that's the way we're going to do it. So we went through the forward preface, the doctor's opinion. Bill's story, there is a social more about algorithm step one. We got to step two, agnostics, we went through that in about 10 minutes. He said, you will come to believe, sooner or later. We sat, we got down on our knees and we did the step three prayer. And I knew I was doing step four because I had a pen and paper in me and he said, do it now. And this is what he said to me about the big book of Alcoholics and the steps in it. This is what he says. Now at once launched into strenuous effort, action, action, more action immediately, waste no time and now. Gives me an hour off in step five. The rest of the time it's about do it now. Because he said to me, I ain't going to sit around and watch you die. You've got one week to do step four and if you don't do it, fuck off. That's the sort of geezer I was dealing with here. Thank God for people like that. Thank God for the people that care more about my life than they do about hurting my feelings. Because I know it takes 18 months or two years to do step four. At least. I treat it like a part-time job. Four hours, four hours and four hours. And it was done. It came out of my house, we went through four, five, six, seven. And the only time he diverted from the big book of our consciousness was in step eight. Because it says in step nine, a remorseful mumbling that we're sorry will not fit the bill at all. So what he did was he got me to write out three columns. Person, harm I did, walk a mile in their shoes. Now what I can tell you is I put my parents through hell. Now that's a bit of a statement. But I had to put myself in my parents' shoes and write a letter to myself about what I'd actually done. And this is all come out of it. We had to travel up and down the country every single weekend getting on ferries and boats to travel to prisons where we'd be shaken down and patted down by prison officers to sitting in the prison looking at you, shoving an off stone, jaundice yellow, shaking and shivering. We couldn't trust you anywhere near us, we had to hide our purses, we had to hide our wallets, we had to take the keys off of you. Every time there was a family gathering we had to tell them you'd gone to Australia again. I've eloped about 15 times by the way, never actually been in you stole our peace of mind, you stole our security, you stole our relationship with our son. That, that, right there, is where the change happened for me. Because I'd only ever seen the damage that I'd done from my side. I'd never seen it from yours, ever. And by placing myself in other shoes, the change started to happen. Um, I went out and made my amends. Two and a half weeks I completed, three quarters of them. The ongoing amends have took over seven years now with the financial stuff because I've robbed and stolen a lot of money, a hell of a lot of money. We did 10, 11 and 12 and it took me 29 days to do the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was told to get off my arse and now go and give it away to somebody else if I wanted to keep this stuff. Um, and now on over the last decade, I've not been out of the book at least once a week with someone. Why? Because every time I take someone through the steps, I'm going through that. I'm continuously replenishing that stock that I need to stay in Alcoholics Anonymous. 
Um, one of the things my sponsor did a lot, I said earlier about what he was like, was I'd gone through the 12 steps with him, we started the traditions and then we went through the concepts as well. But what he said to me was, I want you to go back to the big book and I want you to read from the preface up to interaction. And somewhere in there, there's a car crash and the bloke has to make a decision. And he said to me, and by the way, it's not the jaywalker. So for about a week, right, I'm running around like a lunatic trying to find this car crash. So I go to him, right, there you are, I've done it. And after about a week, I'm starting to ask people left, right, centre, who knows where it is. And I go back to him and I said, I've had absolutely no luck finding that car crash. And he went, no, it's not in there. <laughs> well, you must mean it's not in there. He said, if I just said you read the book 15 times, how many times have you read it? I said, once. He said, how many times did you read it? I said, about 15 times. <laughs> he said, you learned the most important thing in alcoholism that you could possibly learn. When you don't know, ask for help. Ask for help. Because we can't do it on my own. It's a wee program. We need to do that. Um, I've been here a good few years now. And um, unfortunately, I've turned into that whole bastard in the meeting. I'm happy Joyce and Phoebe rocket in all fourth dimension, get on that. Right, and now I'm that person that people say stay away from. I'm that person, and you know what? I don't care. I don't care. I've seen too many people die here of alcoholism, right? And this is what alcoholism is for those of you that don't really know and you'll know. I come to meetings, not doing anything, ain't got a sponsor, not started the book work, and you know what? Life's wonderful. Sun's shining, put a bit of weight on. New pair of trainers, in my case, 56 new pairs of bloody trainers. Everything's alright. And about six to eight weeks, I'm sitting in the meeting, and from nowhere, on a beautiful day, my head goes, How long is this poxy meeting on for? And if she shares about that plumber one more time, I'm going to knock her out. And I'm timing how long he shares, because he goes on forever, this geezer. And I'm irritable, and I'm restless, and I'm discontent. Or well, let me put that in London terms for you, right? I'm bored, pissed off, and I'm grateful. And I don't want to be here. But I've got an illness that lies to me. My illness don't go, you've got untreated alcoholism, Richard. My illness goes, you've got bipolar. You need to go and take a pill. Doesn't tell me about untreated alcoholism. As a direct result of doing this, I've stayed here. Not only have I stayed here, this is the, the thing of it. It's, this is not about quantity, this is about quality. This is about freedom. You know, I have that. Look, my girlfriend's sitting over there, right? If you want to know how recovered I am, ask her. Don't ask me, because I'm a fucking liar. But what she sees is, she sees me like this. She don't see me up and down, screaming and shouting and nasty and horrible. She doesn't see any of that. She just sees me on an even kill. Has my life been absolutely wonderful all the way through alcoholism? Yes, no. No, I've had both parents die. I've had an art operation. Um, I've seen good friends die, I've lost relationships, I've lost jobs, but not once has it come into my head to have a drink. You see, you stubbing your toe was a good reason for me to have a drink when I got you. Well, I drank when it was cloudy, I drank when it was sunny, I drank when it was miserable, I drank when it was raining, I don't need an excuse to drink. Drinking's like breathing to me. Take that away from me and I'm gagging, absolutely gagging, until I get one in me and get a sense of ease and comfort. It comes out once by taking a few drinks. And I've noticed it in the past with my friends, where I go into a pub with my mates, and my mates would pick a drink at me, do this. <laughs> Quench first. It's what I do, right? You know what's coming, don't you? <laughs> oh, fucking hell. Stick a life vodka in there, love. In fact, stick a treble in there. And I'm off. 
What is the effect that I get that he can't get? I'm irritable, restless, and discontent. And when I drink, it goes. I'm happy standing around where I am, feeling the way I am. But the minute I'm left without a drink in me, I'm just miserable. Miserable until in the end I just go and do it again. So I suffer from this illness, there's no two ways about it. Um, when my mum died, I was, um, my dad had been up the hospital for three days with her, uh, keeping an eye on her. And he rang me up and he said, I can't sit up here no more, son, can you come up and look after her? And I said, yeah, of course I can. So I got up the hospital and, and he left. Um, and I went straight down in the car and I cracked a couple of cans open and I got me puffed out and I got me gear out and I sat there. Um, and then I went up into the hospital to see how she was doing and she died on her own. Um, I've had to learn to forgive myself for that. Um, so I'm four years later, I'd, um, I'd wrote to my dad in my amends um, to say to him that, you know, I'm sober, I'm living a decent life, if you could forgive me, you know, that'd be great and we'd like to talk. And he just sent me a letter back saying, Richard, fuck off, fuck off and die. Um, and I didn't see him for nine or five years. And I got a call one day and someone said, um, your dad's in hospital, he's had a stroke and he's dying and he's, he, he wants to see you. So I flew up the hospital and um, all his mates were standing around the bed. None of his mates recognised me because as I said the last time they'd seen me, I was seven and a half stone and joined each other. Um, I was not in a good way. And I said to my dad, um, I've come to see you. And he just looked at me and he went, yeah, you're Richard's mate, ain't you? When you see him, tell him he's a proper prick. I said, Dad, it's me. And he went, you tell him he's a prick. And I left and went outside and one of his mates came out and said, are you all right? I went, yeah, yeah, no, I'll, I'll get over it, I'll get over it. He said, look, let's have a chat with him and we'll explain who you are. And I went back into the room and, and they told him who I was. And I went up to the bed and I leaned down and I said, Dad, it's me. And he went, yeah, I know. Have you still got that fucking drill you borrowed off me four years ago? <laughs> Here's the beauty of working with sponsors. At the time, we had to talk about turning the machine off because um, he was going to die. But we'd always promised ourselves what it ever got to the point where we had to get somebody to wipe our asses we wanted out. And he promised me that he'd kill me if we ever come to that, and I promised him I'd kill him if they ever come to it. And um, I'm standing there, and he's standing to me, he's lost the use of both arms and both legs. He's not far off of dying. And he said to me, son, you promised me that you would kill me if it come to this, and now I want you to keep your promise. Put a pillow over my head and take me out, please. I can't live like this no more. And I stood there, and I, and I contemplated. And he moved forward, and I picked the pillow up, and I stood there with the pillow. And I thought, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. And as I'm about to do it, the phone rang. And I picked the phone up, response went, yeah, I mean, Tesco, so some birds just run over my foot with a poxy trolley. <laughs> I went, what? I said, you better have done some inventory around this. I said, Dad, give me a second. <laughs> After going out and doing the work with him on the phone for about 10 minutes, I come back and I had a whole new perception of what was going on. Because that's what this is about, getting a whole new perception of what's going on. What I think's going on is usually not what's going on. That's why I'm a sponsor. I have to defer to the thinking of others. Here's my eye thinking, right? I'm going to move to France. I've seen this beautiful little shack, wooden, with a beautiful balcony. And at night time, as the sun goes down behind the mountains, I'm just going to sit in a rocking chair and I'm going to wild my life away. And I've told my sponsor that. And you know that's look sponsors have when they smile, when they know something that you don't? And he gave me that look and he went, oh yeah. I went, yeah. He said, so you're going to be in a foreign country where they don't speak a word of English. There's no meetings, there's two vineyards either side of you. Right? Now I ain't seen none of that. 
my sponsor has done, and that's the problem, you see. When I start taking inventory and I just do it myself, I'm not seeing the whole picture. I need to defer to the thinking of other people. And I'm going to tell one more story before I go away. Quickly. About three months in, I've decided, right, that the best thing I can do here is drink non-alcoholic lager in a pub with my mates. And he's got that smile on his face, the sponsor, right? He went, oh, yeah. Went, oh, yeah. I said, no, you don't understand. I'm not like you. And he said, yeah, really? He said, come in, let me show you something. He took me in a minute. He said, see that chair? It's got your name on it, and it will be here when you get back. I said, I ain't going anywhere. He went, right, OK. Three months later, I walked up to the meeting, smashed out my nut, and he looked at me with that smile, and he went, how's it going, all right? I went, no, it's not. Where's that poxy shirt? So about six months later, I'm sponsoring, the sponsee comes up to me and goes, I found a way of drinking without actually drinking. And I went, how are you going to do that? He went, I'm going to drink non-alcoholic lager in a pub with my mates. I said, I did that. I ended up pissed. He said, yeah, but I'm not like you. I said, I said that too. Come here. See that chair? It's got your name on it. It'll be when you get back. And do you know what, right? By the grace of God, he did come back because I've seen a lot of people here who haven't come back. They haven't. All I know is, without Alcoholics Anonymous and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I wouldn't be alive today. And nor should I be for the stuff that I've done. Bill Wilson wrote in a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and this is what he said. I may have seen the lecture and I may have seen the given advice. If that's so, I'm sorry because I don't always care for people that lecture me. But what I've related is based upon actual experience and some of it's been painful. That's why I'm anxious that you understand and avoid these unnecessary difficulties. So to you out there, may soon be with us. We say good luck. God bless. Thanks for letting me speak today. Cool.